Welcome to RiskWise, a show about money for Muslims, where you'll learn how to make smarter financial decisions without selling your soul. For the full experience, join us at no cost at riskwise.com. Assalamu alaikum. Another installment of Ask RiskWise. Thank you for joining us, Saeed. How are you? Assalamu alaikum. I'm feeling great. Let's do this. As, Thank as you if, for joining as us. As if we weren't already just recording another episode before this. Hey, you know, don't, don't tell them that stuff. That's that's behind the curtain stuff. Well, it's not they a don't... secret. We, we Sometimes we batch recordings. You're, you're ruining the... Oh, you're ruining the magic, <laughs> man. make us look bad? Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what we do. I'm sorry, but hopefully you're enjoying it nonetheless. Um, and yes. today we're going to actually listen to one of your questions and answer your questions. Yeah, last finally. Week we, we, you know, I answered my own question. Um, <laughs> this time we have a real question from a real listener with a real name that we're not going to mention. Oh, no. No. Yeah. We made this promise back way back when that we would protect people's identity. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I mean, whatever. We'll see. Integrity, integrity. <laughs> So I will mention he's a brother. Um, I don't know if that's relevant at all, but I think he'd be okay with that. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he talked about his wife, so it kind of makes sense. That, it doesn't know. make Does he say wife or spouse? Anyhow. Anyway. This brother asks, he says, Inshallah, I'm getting married. Congratulations. And myself and my fiance have begun discussing joint finances. Mm-hmm. First off, you know, very good on you for discussing this pre-marriage and having money talks before you guys get married. Awesome. Props. He says, I'll probably be the sole income earner for the first few years while she pays off some student loans. Okay. We've been having a discussion about renting versus owning a place to live. Mm-hmm. She'd like to rent, but I don't know. It feels like throwing away money. Love that sentence. If I can earn enough for a down payment before we get married, wouldn't it just make sense to put that money into owning a place to live? Okay. There's a lot behind the scenes of this question that I'd love to unpack. First, let's start here. Living costs money. Housing, putting, you know, living in a space, having a roof over your head is an expense, period. Amen. Right. So whether you're renting or you're, you know, owning and you have a mortgage, you know, let's say conventional mortgage or Shia compliant mortgage, either or. Okay. In all of the above circumstances, it is an expense. It will cost you money, period. And it's your biggest expense. Uh, Depending on your country, taxes could uh, overpower it. But yes, huge expense. Oh, taxes, right. Okay. Yeah. Says the former accountant. Jeez. (laughs) See what I'm working with here, people? (laughs) So houses, if we Hold accept on, you pay that, taxes? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, jo- it's a joke. I'm joking. It's a joke. <laughs> it was an attempt at humor. Do not report me. Okay. Good Go stuff. ahead. <laughs> um, so if we accept that they're an expense, okay, and, and, and think about it this way. It's very clear that we can understand the expense of renting because renting is money that you give to your landlord. So people say, you know, I'm giving money to my landlord. It's, I'm throwing money away. They're just taking my money. So you're either renting a place to live or if you're financing a house through some means, you're renting the money for the place to live, right? So in both cases, whether you're renting the place to live or you're renting the money for the place to live, in both cases, you are, quote unquote, throwing money away. The word landlord doesn't really help either, does it? I know it's an old just, yeah. term. This is just a total and, tangent, but I mean that 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 term comes from a world where 
only with people, only the people who had money, people who had wealth owned real estate. Yeah, and they were an oligarchy, so that you had to have preference from the king or the court or whatever it was to you know to give you that land or to allow you to have that land. So land was basically inaccessible before, yeah, and that word landlord, yeah. Absolutely. But I think that's an important point to highlight here is that we don't live in a world now where you only have money if you own real estate. Mm-hmm. That's no longer Very good. that's no longer the the telltale sign of somebody that has wealth. Yeah, that's such a good point. But at the same time, there's a lot of emotional baggage that we, you know, we kind of carried forward from previous generations where it's like, you know, to to be well off, to be financially stable, you've got to own a piece of land. Yeah, that's so true. Ahmed. good good point. That's a very good point. And and with the concept of, you know, the the idea and the emotional feeling of throwing money away, recognize that you're actually getting a place to live out of it. You know, you're gaining that ability to live somewhere. So you're trading, not throwing it, you're trading that money for a place to live, which is an important thing to have. It's no more throwing throwing away money than buying food is throwing away money. <laughs> you need a place to live. You need food to eat, right? Exactly. So, you know, that still doesn't answer the question. Should we be buying houses? Should we be renting for our lives? Well, you know, what is the actual thing that we should be doing generally? What should we be striving for? And... I think that when we say things like that, that renting is throwing away mar- uh, money, that I'm paying somebody else's mortgage, um, that I could use the money that I'm paying in rent to pay off my own house, it's a very simple way to understand a very complex issue. And our brains operate operate like this. We try to make sense of things as quickly as possible and to bring it down to a level if we don't have that education behind it. Not saying that anybody out there is dumb, but if you don't have the knowledge and the education behind it, your brain will naturally just try to make it simple and come up with these and we'll hear these things out there in the community um, that make it and make a complex issue very simple. So if you're following how, if you're following any of the election campaigns going on, then you'll you'll be witnessing this happening firsthand, right? Deduction, yeah, sound deduction sound to bites. sound bites and slogans and mantras. Yeah, very complicated complicated complex issues down to sound bites, and we do this in ourselves as well. Now, when you when you actually have to decide, hey, should for him, uh, you know, should they go out and buy? Should they rent when they first get married? And if you're out there thinking the same question. The calculation to determine which of those two options you should do is not so simple as saying just throwing away money. The calculation is actually very complex. So one of the things that we do generally is we say, okay, if I'm paying a thousand bucks in rent, but I could buy a place and pay a thousand bucks in a you know mortgage, traditional, straight compliant, whichever. Pick your pick your poison. Um, it's still a thousand dollars a month. Therefore, if rent equals house payments then I should buy. Immediately, calculation over. We take one factor and measure it against, but really not that easy because when you own a home, you have additional expenses to add to that, which is like maintenance. If you have a a landlord, they take care of it as a tenant. You don't have to do the maintenance. Property taxes, that depending on where you live, you might have property tax on the place that you live, whereas when you rent, you don't have that property tax. And then there's something that's really weird. It's esoteric. It's hard to understand, so people don't calculate it, but it's so necessary to calculate. And that's this concept called an opportunity cost. What an opportunity cost basically means is, let's say I have $100,000 and I have essentially two options in front of me. I can either invest it into you know, the stock market, into businesses and earn a profit, or I can do nothing with it. Just keep it in cash forever. 
it, it would be easy to think that keeping it in cash has no cost to it because it's just in cash. There's no costs involved. But there is a cost involved, which is, you know, secondary to inflation, which we have discussed before what inflation is. But what's also costing you by keeping it in cash is you're missing the opportunity to be able to earn a profit. Because you're missing this opportunity to earn a profit, that is a real cost on your life that we have to calculate. In most countries, in long term, houses do not have the same rate of return as businesses. Businesses are more profitable. They make more money. So the more money you put into a house, the less money you're putting into businesses, and there's an opportunity cost for that decision. You're missing out on the opportunity to be invested into businesses and earning profits. I find the best way for people to understand opportunity costs who are not familiar with the term is to think about it in terms of time. Okay. Right? So just like money, time has an opportunity cost. So when you choose to do something with your time, it means you're not doing anything else. Right? So if I decide to go to the golf course for six hours, on a Saturday, which I don't do, by the way, and I am making fun of people that do it. <laughs> if I decide to do that, that's how I'm spending my time, which means I'm not spending time with my family. I'm not, I don't know, uh, give me some more examples of more productive things in golf. At work, earning money? I'm not at work earning money. I'm not, um, you know, relaxing and reading the newspaper or reading a good book, right? So Learning, these, gaining knowledge, These study, are all the opportunity costs of going and playing golf on Saturday. And maybe you decide that you still want to play golf and that's fine, but, but you have to make that decision acknowledging the opportunity costs. And money mm -hmm. is the same, that when you do something with your money, it means you're not doing something else. And holding cash is doing something. Right. It's choosing to hold it in cash, and that choice loses you on that opportunity, and that's your opportunity cost. And the problem and, and, is that I think, sorry to cut you off, so I think the well, problem here is that when people think about housing as an investment, they're comparing it to the opportunity cost of holding cash. Exactly. So yeah, compared to holding cash, housing is probably a reasonably good investment, but I think what you're going to argue is that that's the wrong comparison. That's absolutely the wrong benchmark because they're holding cash, as we've explained before, is absolutely the wrong idea. So we're comparing a wrong idea to not a very well calculated idea. Really, we should compare it to the ideal case scenario, which is being fully invested into profitable businesses that are going to make you money and build you wealth the most rapidly in the long run. Compared to owning a home, we know that in most countries, businesses make more money than houses do. And pretty easy to understand that difference. Well, and there's some hard numbers and we're not going to get into it, but there's there's some hard data that clearly indicates and supports that over the short term and the long term, and by short term, I mean 5, 10, 20 years, and by long term, I mean 50, 60, 70 years, that the stock market has outperformed housing prices by quite a wide margin. Exactly. It's a very significant margin. So the opportunity cost is significant. Now, calculating all of these different factors all on a piece of paper is astronomically difficult, and I don't recommend that you do that. Uh, we're going to post a link in the show notes on the episode, so hit us up at riskwise.com and find this episode on investing and, oh, sorry, this Q&A, I mean, not that we just recorded something on investing, I don't mean that, um, on this Q&A um, about housing. And we're going to point you in the direction of a calculator on the New York Times website. Um, it's basically called Rent versus Buy, the Rent versus Buy calculator. I mean, it's uh, if you're in the personal finance world, you'll know it because everybody in our industry knows it. It's a great uh, calculator that looks at all of these factors, including opportunity cost. 
Yeah, and I guess just to, again, throw in the Sharia compliance angle, acknowledge that when you run that calculator, any kind of Sharia compliant arrangement is going to be more expensive. And the details, yeah. you know, you've got to work that out with whoever your, you know, your Sharia compliant mortgage broker is, but it's going to be more expensive. So that does, if, if you, you know, if you're only going to go with a Sharia compliant mortgage and nothing else, then that calculator won't be the final word for you. I mean, the, the, what what will ask the thing that in that calculator that might be relevant to you is where they ask you what your mortgage interest rate is going to be, and if we can equate what profit sharing agreement you have in your whether it's diminishing or shadow card, let's say it's a you know a straight compliant mortgage, you can probably you know reverse engineer a percentage right. cost. True. Yeah. Even though it's not interest. And you can throw that cost in there. Yeah, if you can do that, the then, then it'll make sense. Yeah. Yeah, and then we can, you know, we can do a one-to-one calculation. Can I tell you what happened to me the other day? Are, are we okay for a little tangent? Even though I'm the one that complains about our episodes being too long, and I I'm was the just going to say in with the tangents. Let's hey. be really, really quickly because I think that there's an important point here. Okay. When it comes to housing, you have to also acknowledge that there's an entire industry that's that's objective is to convince you that you should be owning a house because they make money when you do. Because they make money when you do. So the other day, I had a I had a general contractor come to come to my home, and I don't I, I don't own my home. I'm renting, and he you know he put up some blinds or something, and he knew that I was renting uh, because my landlord had referred him to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when you know he's about to leave, and he goes, "Why are you renting?" I said, "Oh, this is going to be great for risk wise." <laughs> <laughs> but then I told Ahmed we can't use another one of his questions. <laughs> Yeah, I know. So now, now I'm going to bring it up and just kind of like intrude on this question with my own <laughs> anecdote. Uh, and I said, uh, I just, I don't, I don't know. I wanted to, re- I didn't feel like having the Sharia argument with this guy. <laughs> so yeah, just, obviously. Maybe I should have for that purposes. I don't know, but I just didn't feel like it. So I was like, I just mm-hmm. don't, you know, I just don't want to buy. I don't feel like owning a home right now. And, um, and he goes, well, what if I told you that you could, uh, you know, you could probably pay the same amount you're paying right now, but instead of renting, you'd, you'd have a mortgage and, you know, 25% of your payment would be going towards your principal and not towards interest. I said, well, I'd ask you how much you'd have to put down to be able to make that arrangement work. And he said, what if I said nothing? Oh God. I said, I think you're crazy. A hundred percent. I'd call you crazy. I said, what, what do you mean? That's not possible. He said, look, I've got a guy. That he, you know, he, he's in my referral network, and he's he's a great mortgage broker. He can do wonderful things, and I just you know l- let me get him to come to your house and talk to you. And I said, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. This okay. guy gets a commission for referring business to his mortgage broker friend. Okay, yep. now this mortgage broker friend is going to come into my house and make me this very elaborate sales pitch about why I'm crazy and why I'm throwing away money, and he'll probably use those exact words. <laughs> yeah, and he's going to tell you that the the rent that you're paying could be a mortgage on the same house or better. Yep. Yeah. But acknowledge that guy's making money. Both of them are. Both of them are. So be very wary about taking advice, not even advice. I mean, advice is one thing, but, but letting the opinions and the, the world views about, of people who have a stake in your decision influence your thinking. Exactly. And there's a lot of them in the housing market, from TV shows to real estate agents to bankers. There's very, very, very few people in your life that will actually talk you out of buying a home. And not that that's what we're trying to do here. We're just trying to introduce the concept that it is a lot more complicated than you think. We should respect that complexity. And check head on over to our, our website, and we'll link you to the calculator. And I was actually just about to make an argument for buying a house, which is very unlike me. Well, um, no, I think we should do that. I think because the drive for most people who are listening to us to buy a home is that they have seen people like their parents make money from a house. 
Mm-hmm. So it's there. It's in their face. It's that, that's the evidence they're using. It's an anecdotal evidence, but it's evidence nonetheless. So what's, what's your argument? Well, I, just on that point, I think that's, that's, that, that's fair. The problem is that even in the housing market, the last 10 to 15 years, especially the 10 years before the market crash of 2008, were an anomaly. Mm-hmm. I mean, the rate at which housing prices appreciated in those 10 years is unparalleled. So to expect that to continue, especially after the crash, I mean, we th- if this was 08, 07, 08 before the crash and people were bullish on housing and didn't bullish remember a housing? time. Bullish what does that on, mean? Bullish on housing, meaning that, that people believe that housing prices always went up. Yeah. And if they didn't remember a time where housing prices went down or there was a crash, then I would forgive you. 2007, 2008, I would forgive you or before then. I don't forgive you today because seven <laughs> years ago, we had a massive, massive housing correction in the, in the United States and a smaller housing correction in other parts of the developed world. Every OSED nation suffered a 10% or more correction except for one. So don't tell me housing prices always go up because seven years ago they went down. Yeah. Now that doesn't necessarily, and, and you're right, but it doesn't reconcile for the person who says, you know, my parents, they want me to buy a home because they've made so much money on their home. Now to that person who has that pressure from their parents, let's consider the the perspective of that parent. That parent, for one, um, especially if they're immigrated to the developed world, probably doesn't have a stock portfolio, meaning that they don't actually have something else to compare it to. They're comparing that rise in their house price to zero. It's better than zero, so therefore you should do it. But that's not a fair comparison, as we talked about previously. You need to have a better benchmark to compare your opportunity cost. And and there's a whole lot of reasons why you cannot cookie cutter, cut and paste the financial plan of your parents to your own. Housing is one issue. Pensions are another. Taxes are... I mean, there's a whole lot of issues that really kind of throw that off the rails. Yeah, Yeah. that's absolutely changed. But on that note, what's different about today than about 25 years ago when your parents may have bought that house? If you look and you can peel this back and you can actually look at the causes for house prices increasing. And there's a lot of them. It's really actually hard to assign direct causation, but you can look at a lot of good correlations. So we can see very, very, very clearly throughout 100 years that house prices change in value based on where interest rates are in the world and in your country. And that's and they why change. everybody wants you to buy a house right now. <laughs> so interest rates, they house prices and interest rates move in opposite directions. So when interest rates go up, House prices go down. When interest rates go down, house prices go up. Why now, is that? For the last, uh, because people borrow more. So, if you for the last thirty years, interest rates have basically been going down, trending downwards. So it's been cheaper to borrow money. It's been cheaper and cheaper to borrow money. So if you had a monthly payment of a thousand dollars back in the day, maybe that only got you a hundred thousand dollars of a mortgage. But today, if you have a thousand dollars of, of if you have $1,000 to spend on a house and a monthly payment, you might be able to get $500,000 as you're, a mortgage. You're making up these numbers, right? I'm making up these numbers. That's an example. Okay. All right. Yeah, these are just examples. So what you because interest rates have gone down, the amount of money that the average person can afford to borrow goes up. And therefore, they borrow more money to buy something that they want, which they perceive to increase in value, which is a house. And it's been a self-fulfilling prophecy that interest rates have continued to go down, house prices have continued to go up, so people continue to borrow more and more and more to buy and sell the same houses back and forth to each other. 
and, and that's why they're down, right? I mean, from a central bank perspective, why are interest rates so low? I mean, effectively zero in the United States and, and close to zero everywhere else or most other countries is because they want you to borrow. They want you to get that mortgage and buy that house. They want you to get that car loan. They want you to borrow and spend as much as possible to stimulate the economy. And ideally, they want businesses to borrow and expand and create jobs and, and, and increase economic activity, which we can argue, depending on your country, whether that's actually happened. So, you know, lowering interest rates is a way to stimulate the economy. Um, and obviously, they prefer businesses to be stimulative rather than consumption through debt. But the point is, at the end of the day, forgetting what central banks do, because we can't control that, forgetting what, um, you know, banks in your country are choosing to do in terms of interest rates, we can't control that. We can control what you do, and you can control what you do. And what you need to understand is the reason behind why your parents made money on housing is because interest rates went down. Now look at where they are. This is the present reality. We know where they are. We know where they were. We can take some kind of educated assessment as to where they will be in the next 10, 20, 30 years. Will they be exactly where they are now? Will they be higher or will they be lower? As Ahmed said, it's effectively zero in the US and close to zero almost everywhere else. There's only one way to go and that's up. It's either going to stay exactly where it is forever, which is a very non-likely scenario. We are at emergency levels, post-recession, post-crisis levels. So likely, we don't know when, nobody can tell you that, but it's going to go up eventually at some rate. We don't know exactly when, we don't know exactly what. But again, if house prices and interest rates are inversely correlated, when interest rates go up, house prices go down. So that's 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 one argument. And I, I'm going to add another another point to that argument is that yeah, prices may go down when the rates go up, and then that can be debated. And this is speculative. We're not saying it's going to happen in your neighborhood, in your city, in your town. I mean, that's right. You know, these are broad macroeconomic principles that yeah. can be broken, right? Yeah, there are absolutely exceptions. Many there's, neighborhoods just go regardless. Yeah, exactly. There's certain neighborhoods, like ones near where I live, that no matter what, the prices are going up, but they're also prohibitively expensive to buy in. Right. Um, to add to that, if you're going to get into a mortgage, and whether that's a conventional mortgage or a Shreer compliant mortgage, I think you're just you're equally going to be affected by this. Yes. When the rates go up, you're paying more money, mm-hmm. right? A conventional mortgage, you know, five year term. Um, on a Shreer compliant mortgage, I'm not sure exactly how it would work, but but there Depends. is going to be uh, a moment in time where the 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 deal will be readjusted and renegotiated based on existing cost of borrowing. And when that goes up, you're going to be paying more money for your house. So if you buy a house today, you can pretty much guarantee that you're never going to be paying less for that house. You're only in terms of monthly in, in terms of monthly payments. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's important because how do people get themselves into trouble in the previous housing crash, among other reasons? They bought houses when rates were you know, at the floor, right? Kind of like in the beginning of 2001, 2002, rates were effectively close to zero. And they got into houses that they couldn't afford at higher rates. They could only afford them at that rate. And then when the rates went up, all of a sudden they couldn't afford their house anymore. And then they defaulted and then you've got, you know, um, what do you call them? Foreclosures and bank actions and all kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. So recognize that your parents made money on homes for a lot of reasons underlying it. One of the biggest reasons that interest rates went down. And if they don't continue to go down, uh, can you forecast making the same amount of money? So again, let's go back to that. Our website, riskwise.com, find this episode. Uh, this is the second Q&A that we're doing. And check out the link to the New York Times Rent versus Buy Calculator, and you'll be able to see and calculate for yourself because it's very particular to you 
enter in the property details of the place that you would like to be happy with renting, enter in the property details of the place that you would be happy owning, and see what comes out. Yeah, and I think that's an appropriate note to end this on. In the end, rent versus buy should be a financial decision. Uh, it's a numbers it's a numbers game. You need to calculate it. The calculation is not easy. It's not straightforward. You need to put some thought into it, but you need to do it. Otherwise, you're just taking stabs in the dark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> stabs cool. in the dark. Saeed, this was longer than I had hoped. I know. <laughs> next time, we'll, next time we'll do better. Inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you. Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum.